Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of Lifehouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. John here. I just want to quickly welcome all of our first, second, and third time guests and just welcome everyone else and just say welcome home. We're so honored that you joined us today. Um, I'm actually not there. I'm actually up here in Hagerstown, Maryland, preaching at our sending church. And uh, But man, you are in good hands today. Renee Beamer, who is an incredible preacher and teacher of God's Word, is going to be continuing our summer road trip series today. So you are in wonderful hands. And I will say this about R- Renee Beamer. Uh, anyone that can be married to John Beamer uh, for like 25 years or however long uh, is an amazing woman. I love you, John. Now, but uh, hey, she's an incredible woman and she is going to be preaching today. So join me in welcoming her as she comes and shares God's word with us today. I love you, Lifehouse family. Hey, good morning. It's Pastor John here. I just want to quickly welcome all of our first, second, and third time. Good morning, Lifehouse. <laughs> Good morning. That was hilarious. That took me by surprise. And um, I'll take that compliment, but um, I think my husband's amazing. So don't let that, you know, affect your ego or anything. <laughs> All right. So I know you're wondering, what in the world are you doing in the pulpit that Pastor John Weir occupies? And I really don't know the answer to that. I do know that I prayed this crazy prayer many years ago. I remember my posture. I remember where I was standing. And I remember my words. I said, God, wherever you send me and whatever you have me do, I will do that. I haven't done it perfectly. But today, I'm stepping in and answering that prayer. So let us continue to pray together before we dig into God's word. Father, today we come and posture our hearts, God, recognizing you are sovereign God of this earth. God, we are your people. And God, we want to hear from you. Your word is alive and active. God, you are changing us in Christ Jesus. And your word is anointed. And God, you want to rearrange some things inside of our hearts and our minds. And so God, we just say, let it be so today. We love you, God. We love your word. Where would we go? You have the words of life. And so, God, get me out of of the way. Get my nervousness out of the way. And, God, let your fame be known in this place. And we all pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, on the summer road trip through the Bible, we are looking at a very historical account of Esther. We call it a story, but I agree with um, my sister Andrea. These are real events that happened, and let's just not get caught up into thinking we're talking fiction. We are not. So I want to set the scene about the book of Esther. We are about a thousand years after God's children occupied the promised land. And they, have, um, they had their rules that God gave them. Pastor John took the time to explain the law of God to us and the importance of that. If you were here last Sunday, if not, catch the podcast. It was just an excellent message on uh, Leviticus 
and Numbers and Deuteronomy, amazing. Those are hard books to preach, but he did an amazing message. And so God warned when he said, you know, my plan is to bless you for obedience. But that came with a warning at the same time. And he said, if you turn away from me, and if you follow the gods, worship the gods of the neighboring countries, I will allow your enemies to overtake you. He gave them that consequence because he's a good father, right? He disciplines those whom he loves. And he warned that their enemies would overtake him. And that's exactly what happened. So we have here a people of God who are descendants of Abraham. Remember, the covenant was given to Abraham. We've talked about that on our summer, summer road trip. These descendants of Abraham brought out of captivity from Egypt by the servant leader Moses and into the promised land. That was part of God's covenant. I will be your God. I will establish you in a land that I will give to you. And now we're at the place where they are once again a people of captivity. God is a keeper of his word. Even if it's in a matter of discipline, he does not lie. He is not like man that he would change his mind. He keeps his word. And when God makes a promise, we know he keeps it. And not only did he warn of a future captivity, I love this part, and it came to pass, but he had promised them beforehand it will last 70 years. I mean, that's God saying, you're going into time out. My style, my style. All right. And through, one, um, through our brief look at Esther today, we will, we will see that God divinely protects his promise. The people of his promise, the covenant, the words of how he is going to treat them as their God, God protects his promise. And he remembers his promise to establish a nation, to be the God of Abraham's descendants, to give them a land inheritance and to return them to it. He remembers his promise to bless all nations of the earth through Israel, that she is a light to the Gentiles. And because through Israel would, would come the Messiah, God is protecting his promise to be the savior of the world, and his name is Jesus. So something worth mentioning here. The book of Esther makes no mention of the name of God. Never. All 10 chapters, you will not see G-O-D or any reference to God or any of his names in that book. Wow, this is a challenge to me that I'm proclaiming God's fame when he doesn't even proclaim himself in this particular book of scripture. So at the time of Esther and the Jews' captivity, the Persian king Xerxes was ruling the known world. The book of Esther opens with a detailed description of an opulent banquet that King Xerxes held for all of the nobles in his citadel. And one thing we quickly learn about this king, he liked to show off what he had. In fact, after several days, the scripture says he was high on wine and the spirits, and he requested that his queen, Vashti, she was hosting her own banquet in her quarters. He wanted her to come and come before all the men assembled at his banquet, wearing her crown. Well, the queen said, no. 
And we know what happens when a queen refuses a king's order. She was out the door. Her tribe had spoken. <laughs> so now there was, in Esther chapter 2, let's look together. Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin, named Mordecai, son of Jair, the son of Shemai, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken with Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. The girl, who was also known as Esther, was lovely in form and features, and Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many girls were brought into the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther was also taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who had charge of the harem. The girl pleased him and won his favor. Immediately, he provided her with her beauty treatments and special food. He assigned her seven maids selected from the king's palace and moved her and her maids into the best place in the harem. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Every day, he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. Just when we think our society has advanced far beyond the ancient practices of those cultures, enter reality TV and The Bachelor. This is really no different, and there really is nothing new under the sun. <laughs> After 12 months of treatments that were designed to make Esther even more beautiful, her turn came to go before the king. Will she get the rose? Anything she wanted was given her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. But get this, Esther submitted herself to the counsel of Haggai. Esther asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the harem, suggested. So a couple of things to notice at this point. Concerning the kingdom, outward appearance was of great importance to the king and all of those around him. Concerning Esther, a winsome demeanor earned her the favor of everyone around her. And it makes me question because, I don't know if you noticed, but I am a girl, and I want to know, why does she stand out among all the other girls? Why her? Why does she get the rose? Because she did. She was selected as the next queen. And you know, Esther was pretty. The Bible says that. It doesn't mince words. She was pretty. But so were all the other girls in that harem. They were selected because of their looks. So what was exceptionally pretty about Esther? Does anyone else want to know that? My ladies, my ladies, do we, why, why does she stand out? And I believe Esther had an exceptional beauty that came from within. And the Bible actually talks about that. A quiet and reverent spirit. That is the way the women of old would make themselves beautiful. I think she had that. Jesus even said there's this winning combination, being shrewd as a snake and innocent as a dove. I think she had it. I think we're going to see that as we go through. So back to the palace. 
I love this, I love this story, if you can't tell. Haman was the chief officer of King Xerxes. And when the king esteemed Haman to the highest rank above all other nobles, everyone in the palace was to pay Haman honor. Oh, I think he liked that, and he did. But Mordecai would not, and it angered Haman. Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Persia, throughout the whole world at that point. Haman wanted all Jews dead because Mordecai the Jew did not honor him. Haman said to King Xerxes, there's a certain people dispersed and scattered among the provinces and their customs are different from those of all the other people and they do not obey the king's laws. It's not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. And if it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them. And I'll put 10,000 talents of silver into the royal treasury for the men who carry out the business. Hatred, murder, and money have no problem finding one another, do they? The king told Haman, do as you please with the people and keep the money. So the edict went out to all the provinces in Xerxes' domain, declaring that the people were to ready themselves for a holocaust of the Jews in exactly 11 months. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Fast forward 2,500 years and we encounter a man in our modern history who possessed the same hatred of the Jews. My family and I recently returned from Israel the Holocaust Museum there is an exceptional one. There are, there are amazing museums that you can visit in D.C. and many other places besides Jerusalem. But it is a must-see reminder of Hitler's deliberate scheme to kill as many Jews as possible. Within minutes of walking through that first exhibit in Jerusalem, I was so emotionally broken by the evidence of hatred in the heart of man. And as much as we would choose to believe that Hitler was some exception, that he possessed some unnatural evil, I think we must be honest with ourselves, that we all have the capacity to hate. And that's what the book of Esther shows us, that in our humanity, we have the capacity to hate. In fact, God has designed us with an emotional expression of hate. And if God created it, then there must be some use of hate that can actually glorify God and not destroy life that God created. What is the, what is the right use of hate? Psalm 97.10 makes clear, those who love the Lord hate evil. But the hatred like Haman's the hatred like Hitler's, it happens, it can happen to anyone. So we can't just put them in their own category and say, those are exceptionally evil people. No, they are human. And there is within our heart an ability to hate. To hate to that degree. To invest in murder. So what is that and where does it come from? I think it starts with a very 
almost undetectable shift in our mind, right? The enemy's sneaky. He's not going to come in and say, hey, want to be like Haman? He doesn't do that. It's going to be the smallest of shifts. And the way I like to think of it is we classify and we divide. And our minds are always processing. And we want to process quickly because we got other things to dwell on and to fix and to worry about. So we just want to take this matter before us, classify, divide, and file it away. And it's, it's in those kind of things where thoughts come in unchecked. And the next thing you know, we're partnering with something that left unchecked could create disaster. I call it the us versus them. And I think we do this in every facet of our lives. We are classifying, dividing, classifying, dividing. And we, we do us versus them. And let me explain that. It, like Haman, matters of ethnicity or, or religion or politics or health, mental sanity or the lack thereof. We classify and divide job positions, economic status, education. There's always this esteeming self above another and, and saying, because this is my reality, that is not worthy of my association. And what the Lord has shown me as I consider my own proclivity to classify and divide, to, to enter into that us versus them, the Lord has shown me, Renee, there is an us versus them. It is the holy us of heaven, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and the sinful humanity of the earth. But Jesus says to me, notice how I am act in light of the us versus them. The Lord says, notice how I compassionately deal with sinful humanity. I identify with your lowliness. Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And you know how we overcome the flesh's inclination toward us versus them. Do you know how we overcome that natural desire to classify and divide? We draw from the compassion of God. And we humble ourselves. Honestly, without the resurrection life of Christ within you, you cannot know true humility. You cannot. Now, apart from Jesus Christ, a person can measure, have a measure of humility. There can be a degree of kindness that in their best efforts, a person apart from Christ can, can really act on that. But I promise you it has a limit. And when pushed to the extremes, and when under stress, the person trying to do their best in humbly treating their fellow man with respect and honor, they're, they're going to fail. They're going to default back to the flesh. And the rule of the day for the flesh is selfishness and pride. And let us not fool ourselves that having low self-esteem means I'm humble. Low self-esteem is another form of pride. 
If you have low self-esteem, I'm not trying to knock you down here, but I'm just defining it's not humility. Low self-esteem is still totally consumed with self. The focus is still all me. True humility is learned from Jesus himself. Jesus said, lay down your burdens. And let's face it, being self-consumed is burdensome. It is burdensome. Jesus invites us to new life in him, in which we learn from him because he is gentle and humble in heart. Those are his words. And we will find rest for our souls. And that's his promise. So we can learn humility through resurrection life of Jesus within us because he wants to teach us. And that's what he's doing today. He's teaching us. He is the teacher. The Holy Spirit is the teacher. But God can also allow circumstances to bring us to a humble state of heart. Back to the palace. Mordecai, as well as all the Jews throughout the empire, were severely grieving at the news of their pending death. They had just 11 months to live. Can you imagine being told, on the 13th of this month, of that particular month, you will die? They were grieving. When Esther hears of Mordecai's distress, she asks him, what is wrong? And she learns of Haman's evil-planned annihilation of all Jews. Mordecai sends message to Esther, pleading with her to go to the king and to tell the king she is a Jew. Desperate times call for desperate measures. Remember, when Esther arrived at the palace, her cousin Mordecai, her guardian, told her specifically, do not give away your nationality. But the situation is indeed desperate because Esther may die immediately if she goes into the king's court without having been invited. That was just known throughout the land. You don't approach the king. He invites you to come. This is what Mordecai said to her. Esther chapter 4. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish and who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Mordecai's beliefs are all on display in that statement. He knew the promise of God. He knew the covenant of God. Notice the words, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise. That is a man confident in the promise of God. If God says we're going back, that we're going to not only survive this captivity, but return to the promised land, it's going to happen. I mean, he said that so emphatically. He said that under the pressure of being told, you have 11, a month, 11 months to live. Talk about grabbing hold of the promises of God. Desperate times call for desperate measures. Esther postured her heart toward humility. Her people needed her. Her cousin Mordecai, who raised her like a father, pleaded with her. And Esther replied, saying, verse 16 of chapter 4, Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. 
don't want to spend too much time here on the topic of fasting. I know we try to categorize, classify people who fast as being super spiritual, but I will say, looking at Esther in light of this extreme circumstance, Esther just said, I've got to get humble about this. And the fastest way to humility, to get a hold of God's heart, is to humble yourself through fasting. Fasting is making a decision against yourself. Because every day that you're fasting, yourself is telling you, hungry, don't forget, hungry, don't forget, it's 12, we eat at 12. And you're making a decision against yourself because you, are, you, need, you need humility. And the fastest way toward humility is to make a decision against yourself. Fasting promotes that. This is some feature level film style of drama, isn't it? Some of you, you're just so familiar with this story, but you're still thinking, what's next? What happened? Well, she did go to the king, and I wish, I wish I had time to go through the rest of this narrative and to do the play-by-play. It is absolutely fascinating because only God could have orchestrated these events in the perfect timing that they were orchestrated. Only God, only God. His name is not in this book, but he is not silent at all in revealing himself, in revealing his ways. The Jews were spared from Haman's planned annihilation. And death and destruction came upon Haman instead. He hung on the very gallows He hung on that very gallows. The Bible says, the planned destruction you put on another comes back on you instead. And that is perfectly exhibited in this text. Thank you again for joining us on the LifeHouse Newport News Podcast. If you're ever in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Movie Theaters. Until then, feel free to check us out at www.theaterchurchnn.com or on any social media platform. Thank you so much, and God bless.